Um, this is kind of scary because I only realized this a couple of days ago and I've only come out to a few people. I'm a guy. <laughs> Day one of being a girl. How'd I do ladies? Good? The desire to be noticed is powerful. It fuels the motives of serial killers all the way to the famous last words of every teen kid who says, Hey, watch this. Watch this. <laughs> oh. The advent of social media promised to fill the void and give every person the platform that they know they deserve to remove the gatekeeper so that you can be who you knew you always could be. Social media gave everyone a pulpit to preach their message and offered a democratization of fame, giving everyone the opportunity to let the world see who they really are. When that mission inevitably failed, a generation of people felt depressed because their dreams were crushed. Surely, they're so amazing. The only reason they aren't famous doesn't have to do with the fact that the vast majority of stuff on social media is inane, self-important, and pointless. No. It happened because they were disillusioned and disenfranchised. With all of their dreams crushed, a generation of people blindly pursued anything to get the attention they were promised. Now, people humiliate themselves with TikTok dances, and even worse, they chop off body parts to get people to finally pay attention to them. I use the they pronouns, and I'm gonna go by Theo. Yeah. We all forgot one thing. Some of the most miserable people on the face of the planet are famous. They have skyrocketing substance abuse rates and divorce rates. And let's not even talk about the kinds of kids they raise. Willow and Jaden are a whole nother podcast for another day. Fame and the desire for likes is all the same symptom. We crave notoriety because we need to know that our lives matter, but because we're also lazy, rather than doing something noteworthy, some people would rather just post a picture of their butt in order to get likes. Our lives need to matter because deep down we know we are created for something important. You need Jesus. That something is really someone. That's why you can't cut on yourself enough to get noticed the way you need to. You were created to be noticed by God. That's why nothing else will satisfy. This is the problem with so much of modern preaching. The positive mental attitude gospel does not actually help us find meaning. It plasters over our real soul's need. Until we move away from being Pavlov's dogs and salivate every time our little phone dings to notify us that someone has liked our post, we will never truly find real fulfillment. And we'll talk about where you can actually find it today on IndieThinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And to check out today's show sponsor, our friends over at Anchor can help you with all of your small business solutions. Now, whether that's staffing, accounting, bookkeeping, or any of the like, they can help you incorporate and they can help you create a great business that will produce revenue for you and your family and future generations to come. Now, in order to see everything that they can do for you, you need to go to their website. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. Because there you'll find that not only can they offer you some of the things I just mentioned, but they can offer you wise, strategic business solutions that will help scale your business in such a way to make it incredibly successful. All I can tell you is you don't have to take my word for it. You can go to their website where you can find testimonials about how they have helped other businesses just like 
us here at IndieThinker. So if you're looking for staffing solutions, bookkeeping, accounting, or whatever you may need for your business, you need to go check out Anchor. So go to ancur.biz. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. It probably shouldn't seem odd to anybody that in a society that is totally obsessed with the marginalized and obsessed with social justice, that there is little love for the oppression and marginalization of Christianity. Christianity is still perceived to be a kind of majority of people in this country, and as a result of that, there are people who justify their religious bigotry and say that it's okay to do all manner of evil things against Christians because they just happen to make up the vast majority of the country. So I happen to, on the other hand, think that regardless of how big a subset of a community is, you probably shouldn't be just an intolerant bigot simply because you think you know better. Uh, so when you go on social media and to say, oh, you believe a bunch of ancient lies and a bunch of sheep herders that created a book, maybe it would be a smarter kind of tack for you to actually realize that the morality that you have is based upon total fabrication, incoherent nonsense, or more importantly, that perhaps you just hijacked Christianity, imported that morality, and now claim it as your own and have no intention of actually citing the source. In other words, it's important if we're going to hate on something that we do it for the right reasons and not because our secular society has told us to do it. This is why, as an independent thinker, I think if you're actually thinking clearly, you'll come up to some religious truths and more specifically Christian truths that will help you navigate this life and your bigotry will consistently keep you slamming your head into a wall or cutting off your nose despite your face, which is the progressive mantra of our day and age today, which, as you'll see in our first story, is what we continually perpetuate without questioning why. There is a double standard that is so obvious in the media and in society today when it comes to Christianity that it boggles the mind. And that's proof positive in this story about Kirk Cameron and Riley Gaines, who are on a nationwide tour going to different libraries around America to read books that actually may help children and not gender confuse them. So Kirk Cameron was just recently denied entrance into a library. And I'm going to read the story and you tell me what you think for yourself. And it says this. Quote, after discussing the logistics of the event with both the library and the event organizer, the Madison City Police Department and the Madison City Fire Marshal have recommended that the event be held in an alternate location. In addition, the release noted, quote, the city of Madison applies permitting regulations for outside events equally to all groups and organizations. While the initially planned event was suited for the Madison Library's capacity, the scope of attendees quickly grew. It went on, quote, the Moms for Liberty group failed to apply for an event permit in advance, and it was determined that the city resources cannot support an event of this size in such short notice. And by the way, you should know that this took place in Alabama. Not Maybe not Greenbow, Alabama, but it took place in Alabama, not L.A. County not New York City, not Chicago. This took place in Alabama. And if you're a really skeptical and perhaps astute reader, you might be able to question why they're canceling the event rather than just capping the attendance of the event. Because some 
like 300 people uh, signed up to be a part of the event. So just cap the event and let it happen in the library. But no, they said, we want to reorganize the event so that you can go somewhere else. In other words, get out of our library. Can you imagine if this had happened to a drag queen event? You would hear about it incessantly from the sycophantic tears of men who disgustingly cry like they think they're a bunch of women and whine and complain and moan. It's enough to make you nauseous. Now, of course, you would hear about this and this library would never do that because they're so afraid of a bunch of limp-wristed men who dress like women, but they don't care about a bunch of Christians in their city or whether or not their rights are protected. Again, it's a double standard. Um, so here in Huntsville, I want to share another story where Cameron was on tour with Riley Gaines, the NCAA swimmer who spoke out against Leah Thomas, or more importantly, Will Thomas. Uh, now, when they were trying to go to Huntsville, there was a group of people who wanted to protest the event in a really interesting way that shines a light on the double standard that that happens at Christian events all the time. And so the article says this. Police in Huntsville, Alabama, prevented a crowd of protesters from disrupting a story hour featuring actor, author, Kurt Cameron, and former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines on Saturday. A group of protesters outside the Madison Public Library reportedly attempted to enter the event, which was hosted by the organization Moms for Liberty as part of the See You at the Library series of book readings on August 5th. Some protesters held signs that said, ban hate, not books, and ban bigots. Maybe you see the double standard there. Do you remember Christians showing up at Drag Queen's story hour asking to ban drag queens? Or more importantly, did Christian adults show up and say, hey, why don't you just leave kids alone? You guys can go do whatever you want to do. This is America after all, but leave small children alone. There is no need, no reason for a bearded fat man to shove himself in lingerie and prance around in front of children. What's the purpose here if not to sexualize children? So go about your business, but leave the kids alone. No signs outside of any libraries where drag queens were showing up in cities all around America said, ban drag queens. Didn't happen. And in fact, didn't have signs that say ban books either. That's another left-wing talking point to try to scare people into submission that doesn't have anything really to do with the truth. So the real haters here, as always are on the left. They're using emotional blackmail to try to convince you that Kirk Cameron and Riley Gaines are some threat to society because they want to read a book about character development to small children. But trust me, you are not going to be celebrated for telling the truth. This event proves it, if anything. So I hope you're hearing what I'm saying today. I hope you realize that the reason Christianity has a bad rap um, for many in society today, just simply doesn't have anything to do with Christians other than the fact that Christians actually take a moral stance against things, and that is good. The idea that people will always celebrate you if you're just loving enough is total nonsense. You can be as winsome, you can be as kind, you can be as charitable as you possibly want to, but the moment you say, hey, probably not a good idea to get 
rather large obese men to twerk in thongs in front of children. The moment you say that, you have violated a fundamental principle on the left that they believe is foundational to their identity because they are emotivist rather than um, people who believe in objective truth. They are postmodernist rather than objective truth tellers. And as a result of that, they are always going to place feelings above truth. And now Christians standing in the way of that will always be a threat that will be the subject of relentless, blind, hate-filled attacks. Now, it would be awesome if evangelical Christians especially took notice of that and started standing up for their brothers and sisters who actually want to take a stand for the truth rather than pontificating and equivocating and falling for the emotional blackmail of those on the left and saying, well, they've got a point. Why do we need to be in libraries all around America? This is exactly the point that I'm asking about drag queens. So you had very little to say about them when they were there, most likely. For those of you who did, congratulations, keep it up. But now that Kirk Cameron wants to show up, you're oddly defending the people who are standing for you. Anyway, we'll talk about this more with our final story, but I think it's vitally important that we understand that we have a double standard, especially in the media today, and if we ever want to undo that double standard and make it intolerable for religious hate to be you know, funneled at Christians, we're actually going to start have to growing a backbone, and we're going to have to start standing up for what's right. We're going to have to reject the holy middle, in other words, and We'll see in our next story how polarization is actually helping us do this. I've talked about it on the show before, but polarization is actually a good thing. I know people think it's divisive, and we don't need a divided America, and we're close to civil war and all of that stuff. But actually, I want to argue that polarization is a very, very good thing. And we can see it through the lens of what just took place with Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom, because they both agreed to debate each other. And in a Fox News article, it says this... Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced on Wednesday evening that he has accepted California Governor Gavin Newsom's debate challenge. DeSantis accepted the challenge during an interview on Fox News with host Sean Hannity, and he will host the debate. Now, already Newsom is trying to back out like the coward he is, which I assume he is probably going to do and never will follow through with his initial uh, you know, challenge to, to Ron DeSantis. And he said this in Politico. California Governor Gavin Newsom's camp on Saturday blasted Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's rules for a long, touted debate, arguing that they are an attempt to hide his weakness as a candidate. And that Newsom said this. What a joke. Uh, DeSantis' counterproposal is littered with crutches to hide his insecurity and ineptitude, swapping opening statements with a hype video, cutting down the time he needs to be on stage, adding cheat notes and a cheering section. Now, if you're a critical reader, an independent thinker, if you will, I hope you can see through some of the the pandering and attacks that Gavin Newsom is throwing at Ron DeSantis. Uh, this is nothing more than the wiggle room that Gavin Newsom needs to back out of this debate. Because, of course, he could write back to DeSantis' group and say, hey, we challenge these things, we accept these things. But he's not doing that. He's making this very public and making this very nasty because that's the kind of man Gavin Newsom is. When he's not at the French Laundry, he's doing the best that he can to uh, emotionally attack individuals that um, that are better than he is. So that's what Gavin Newsom does because he's a very small man. Uh, so he's doing the best that he can to set the precedent for his eventual wiggling out of this of this debate in the future. 
But more broadly, I want to make a point here. A lot of people think, why is Ron DeSantis going to debate Gavin Newsom? After all, Ron DeSantis is running for president and Gavin Newsom is just some hack in California destroying a, a, a major state. But And here's why I think this is mostly important. First of all, it's very likely that Joe Biden has, since he has moved past his vegetative state, is not going to be the presidential nominee in 2024. Highly likely that somebody like Gavin Newsom will step into a dark horse role and and be that, that nominee. Uh, we don't know that to be sure, and I've prognosticated that would be the case in the past, and so I'm not going to take a hard stance there because predicting the future is kind of a slippery business. But all I can tell you is, is that it is very likely that Gavin Newsom steps up into this position. And Ron DeSantis is kind of floundering in the polls compared to Trump, who seems to be the subject of endless indictments on the left, which, by the way, just a quick question about that. If Donald Trump strangely dropped out of the race, do you think some of these indictments would also strangely disappear? It's almost like the left is trying to rig yet another election in their favor through all sorts of mechanisms, like maybe claiming the president to be racist, creating uh, the precedent for... Uh, you know, once in a lifetime race riots in the city streets and blaming the president for all of that. It almost seems that the jig is up yet again as we draw closer and closer to voting for president that the media has put all of their guns on the table and are ready to create a fight. Um, so side note, but nonetheless, uh, if Ron DeSantis does actually take the nomination, uh, this is going to be a very important thing for Ron DeSantis. He needs to do something to stir up the base. He needs to do something to create some some traction. And this is something that I think will do that. Beyond that, the most important point here is that the power of polarization provides the precursor for this debate. When in the past have you seen this kind of thing happen before, where a major Republican candidate for president now is debating a kind of another lightning rod figure on on the on the left when have you seen these kind of things take place except in a society that is clearly polarized in other words I, i'll just say this that the free discussion of ideas and open debate is a healthy thing for any society. And it is only because of polarization that we are not merely hearing leftist nostrums and rightist nostrums and believing those things, but we actually get to hear those ideas tested before us. This really is an important turn of events, and it is brought to you simply by the power of polarization. If it weren't for polarization, we wouldn't be having this debate. And I think it's really, really important because we're going to get to hear these ideas tested. Now, it doesn't mean that we discount the ability of a person to debate better than another person. Sure, that's always there. But we also are honest about the fact that when we can hear these ideas scrutinized, we can see if they actually stand to reason rather than just hearing the sound of one hand clapping, which, by the way, you should always be very leery of because one hand doesn't clap. So when you're only hearing one side, you're forgetting that there's another side to the story. This goes left and right. And again, debates bring that out. So in other words, polarization forces us to focus on issues. They bring issues to the fore rather than us just merely debating platitudes and pontificating and navel-gazing, we actually get to debate the issues and really see them for what they are. And that's an important thing for all of us. More importantly, polarization does this. It forces the middle to crumble. 
for those who want to stand on the middle on issues just simply because it takes lef- less effort to actually think about where you actually stand on these issues, this is important because when the middle crumbles, it forces you to a side. And there are many things in society today where people are standing in the middle where they do not need to. For instance, there is no middle ground on abortion. The death of a child in the womb is a travesty that needs to be ended as quickly as possible. It is an injustice. It is, it is awful. And regardless of whatever situation a woman may find herself in, it is never right to murder a baby as a solution to that thing. The more we move away from a culture of death, the better. So there isn't middle ground. As much as people want to talk about rape and incest and life of the mother and all of these things, let's just quit using exceptions to be the rule because the vast majority of abortions that take place in America are simply done out of convenience convenience for the mother rather than life of the mother. So forget all the nonsense about my body, my choice. And let's just really talk about what we're talking about. When the middle crumbles, you can't stand on those kind of inane kind of postulates. You actually have to think critically about these things. And when you do think critically, you find yourself not very often in the middle. I guess that's what I'm saying. And so polarization has become a really, really good thing because it's, it's made us understand that we have to pick a side and we better make sure that the side that we're standing on can stand up to scrutiny because seductive lies, and they are all around, are, are the very necessary tools to attack those with a very thin worldview. And the only way to protect against seductive lies is to develop a strong worldview. And that's why we need to jump into our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. In a turn of events that makes it look like we are more in a post-apocalyptic world or Canada, a young boy was just arrested for preaching or reading the Bible more accurately at a drag queen event that was taking place in a city park in Wisconsin. This young man from Warriors for Christ was just simply reading the Bible when a bunch of thuggish police officers came, grabbed the young man, stole his equipment, and then arrested him for reading the Bible. Again, at an event where young children were being sexualized in a city park. So in a twist of fate, the irony here is not those disgusting individuals at the city park that were sexualizing children. They weren't arrested, but the Christian was. Here's that. So love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Hey, hey, what are you doing? What What is the problem? They say we can have, we can, they say we can speak out here on the sidewalk freely. You can speak, but there's no Nobody told us that. There's well, how come there's no amplification? Hey, you guys are acting like thugs, man. You're acting like straight up thugs. Hey, you're, you're, you're taking away my property. He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. Maybe you'll agree that's one of the most startling things you'll see all day. A young man arrested for reading from the Bible in a public park while a bunch of obese, lazy men sexualize children and get away with it. Now, if that weren't enough, perhaps an even more startling 
scene is when you see a bunch of uncomfortable police officers being addressed by one of these warriors for Christ after this young man was arrested, one of the men that was there filming this went up to the police officers and began to address them and speak to them in such a way that I hope wakes us up from the stupor of where we are as far as Christians in America today. I hope it woke those police officers up, but I think there's little chance of that taking place, but hopefully it can wake you up because the stirring words that this man gives are an important lesson for all of us. Check it out. This is nothing new. When you look down through history, you'll notice that from time to time, men make evil through law. And that's what's happened here. Your mayor, the civil authorities here are joining with evil. And those of you who are lesser magistrates, you carry the guns. You're not just mere robots for the state. You have to answer to God also for what you do. So when they do something contrary to his law and word, your duty is not to obey them, but to tell them no. It's called the interposition of the lesser magistrate. Extremely important to understand it. Romans 13, again, for those of you officers who just arrived, makes it clear that your duty is to punish the evildoers. That would be the people over there that are sexualizing children. And your duty is to reward those who do good. That would be the people you've arrested. So you've totally perverted your God-given function and role, turned it on its head. And we wonder how did evil get a foothold in Germany, in the Soviet Union? It was because of the blithe compliance of all the authorities that one after another down the food chain said, yeah, I'm gonna look out for myself rather than do what's right and say, no, this is wrong. And this is wrong. Indeed, indeed, my friend. Every single one of those police officers, especially if they profess to be Christians, who would stand behind their job and stand behind their badge and do this kind of thing, should be ashamed of themselves. What this individual points out here is something called the doctrine of lesser magistrates. Now, there's a lot to say about this, but essentially... This doctrine was made by reformers and is the idea that Romans 13 maybe doesn't mean what you think it means, like princess bride style. That word maybe doesn't mean what you think it means when we talk about submitting ourselves to the local magistrates and those who have authority and making sure that we don't resist those in authority. Maybe that portion of scripture doesn't actually mean what we think it means. And the doctrine of lesser magistrates essentially just tells us this. It gives the appropriate measure by which we should rebel against a civil authority and the right way to do it as Christians. Now, I think this is about as good as it gets, what you just saw with this young man who was arrested, and then this other man who speaks up and speaks to these police officers. But in the process of speaking to them, he is also giving us the prerequisite that Christians used to believe, that we have an obligation as members of a, of a healthy society to make sure that that society is headed in the right direction, to make sure that these that those in authority are held accountable for their actions and even how to rebel against those civic authorities when the right time to do it is and how we can do it as Christians. This is an idea that has utterly been lost by modern day Christians because by and large, we've lost our edge. The kind of positive mental attitude preaching that we've been doing in our churches for far too long have pacified us and made the gospel all about how to have personal satisfaction, but not how to make this world a better place for each and every person. 
We say we want to do that, but we don't actually take the necessary steps because they require a lot of us to actually make this world a better place. And so I would encourage you to think about and contemplate what it means to to rebel and what it means to do so as a Christian. What does it mean to reject civil authorities when they have gone rogue and they have violated not just civic law, but violated a more important law, the law of God? Now, I'll let you do that on your own, but I just want to try to help illustrate why this is such a problem in the present. Many hate that this kid was arrested. They'll say, it's unfortunate that he was arrested. I don't think he should have been arrested. But um, I don't like what he did, to be honest with you. Some of you think somehow if he had just handled, handed the individuals at that park that day a Bible or maybe even just benevolently handed them a bottle of water, that somehow that would have been a better witness than preaching against the action of those drag men in the park that day. I humbly submit to you that that kind of thinking has got us into the situation that we are in today. I pray that you will have the humility to admit that there are people who have other approaches than your approach. Sure, if you want to hand a bottle of water to these drag queens and think that that will make a big difference, by all means, have at it. I think you're utterly wrong, and I think that what is happening in society has proven today that we don't need just benevolent measures like that kind of random act of kindness, but we actually need Christians with a backbone. So not only should you have the humility to admit that there are other approaches, you need to have the humility to admit that perhaps your time in the sun is over. It's produced a generation of spineless Christians who let drag queens sexually abuse children while we return to our churches on Sunday and demand that our pastor never say anything political. This kind of soft soap Christianity has produced a post-Christian nation where children can be sexually abused in public and the Christians are arrested. It's produced a kind of Christianity where we are so insulated and so selfish that we are only concerned with being encouraged when we go to church. And I want to bring you a clip that I think is a brilliant example, not only of kind of somehow when we peddle in the kind of soft soap Christianity, but also the answer to it, because we get it all in one response by somebody who I highly respect. Now, I want to show you a clip of Lisa Bevere. And before I do so, I would just want to put it out there that I've met both John and Lisa before. They are fantastic human beings. Their ministry is unquestionably uh, amazing and has been a blessing to so many people. It's a great ministry. But here in a clip of Lisa Bevere, she gives a response to a question about why Christians are alienating millennials and other younger generations um, in the church today. And I think she gives a faulty answer, but then quickly buys back that answer all in this one clip. Um, and gives the right answer toward the end. So I think it's very, very important for us to hear. So here is Lisa Bevere giving us the reason for why many people are leaving the church today. Check it out. Millennials are leaving the church because the church is more known for what she's against than what she is for. And so we have to be people who are for love, for truth, for hope, for freedom. And uh, we can't be for everything. Right. Because God loves everyone. That's right. But but he doesn't love everything. everything. Because see, everything Mm -hmm. God hates is about protecting who he loves. loves. And so we have to understand there's a difference there. There's a difference. Charles Spurgeon said, you cannot love what God loves if you do not hate Hate what what God 
hates. Right. Fantastic, Lisa. Yes. Now, I think she started off a little rough because she said, well, we need to be known for what we're for and not just what we're against. And we've been known so much for what we're against. And by and large, I don't think that's true. I don't think we've really taken strong stances on anything. And it doesn't take much anyway. It's not like there's this scale out there in society today where secularists and non-Christians are out there saying, well, if you are against this much stuff, then I won't like Christianity. Because really all it takes is just one thing. The moment you come out and say you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, that's enough for you to get a kind of a scarlet letter on you in society as a bigot and a homophobe and somebody that doesn't believe in marriage equality. You know, you believe in marriage inequality, obviously, or perhaps you just believe in what marriage actually is between a man and a woman, what it was originally intended to be. But of course it doesn't matter. And that's the point is that there are, are people aren't leaving the church because we're against stuff. And if they are, then it's because we're against the right things and they're not for God. And that's why Lisa has to buy back a little bit of what she says at the beginning, because it's not just about being for things. The Spurgeon quote that she quoted was absolutely perfect. You cannot love what God loves if you do not hate what God hates. It is clear that Christians need to be against things. So these platitudes, these Christian nostrums that you hear all the time, they're almost always only half-truths are totally flawed. St. Athanasius said this, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. Modern Christians can't really relate to the quotes that I just gave you because the vast majority of modern pastors are just practicing demagogic Christianity. They think their job is to gather crowds and appeal to emotion rather than to reason. Know this, that there is no real love without sacrifice. Jesus showed us that, if anything. Be kind to people by telling them the truth. In so doing, you are taking a risk and making a sacrifice. Even the most hardened skeptic can see that. And when they see that they may not agree, but at least they see a person who possesses the courage of their convictions, they'll come away impressed, at least. What would, what would possess a person to take such an unpopular stance and do it so boldly when they know that the vast majority of people in society don't believe that? Maybe that person really believes what they're saying. That's the kind of thing, the kind of message we want the world to see. Therefore, telling the truth is one of the most powerful acts of compassion in a secular post-Christian society. Because the hearer knows you've paid a cost to say what you're saying, and you said it anyway. So stop telling yourself things like, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It isn't true. The doctor who has a horrible bedside manner, but the drug that cures cancer gets my business every single day of the week, and he does yours too. Because no one really says, I'll just take the cancer. He's just not nice. And so maybe the problem is that you don't realize that sin is a cancer of the soul, and there's only one cure for it. Because if you did, you'd say bedside manner matters, but it's way less important than the truth. The church is imploding. The church is in decline. Do not hasten its demise by soft-peddling the truth and giving soft soap to a world that needs hope. The God-shaped hole in each and every one of us is crying out. If people can't fill it in the church, they'll go fill it somewhere else. But they can't really fill it, can they? They'll try unsuccessfully to fill it somewhere else, and in the end, they'll have despair. So if you really care about people, you will shine, even in the places where the light is not welcome. For that reason, I have to say... Drag queens, drag queen story hour, and the Christians that don't want to stand against it, you need Jesus. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.